Hey there, Michael here. Before we start the episode, a quick reminder that we have a patron-exclusive podcast series called What We're Watching. With What We're Watching, we choose a limited TV series and release weekly podcasts with our thoughts, analysis, and reactions to the latest episode. So far, we've covered Loki, Foundation, and we are currently talking about the book of Boba Fett, which pushed us to finally pull the trigger on doing an episode diving into what is Star Wars. At the time of the release of this podcast, there is just one episode of the Book of Boba Fett left, which comes out next week. So, if you want to hear our thoughts on each episode of the show, and round out our thoughts on Star Wars while breaking down the finale of the Book of Boba Fett, head over to the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Also, for context, we recorded this podcast on What is Star Wars before the release of the Book of Boba Fett, Episode 5. Alright, now let's get into our conversation on... What is Star Wars? Hi, I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each week we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. I'm joined today by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello there. And Alex Cayetos. Hi. So... This is a special episode. Uh, the team, we all got together and we were like, what's a fun, easy, light, quick thing to do? <laughs> Why don't we talk about what is Star Wars? Why don't we try to engage with that question? If you've been listening to the podcast, we've been kind of teasing this for a little while as a, a conversation that might be fun to have that I think is on my mind a fair amount. And I think because of Boba Fett happening right now is kind of this question of what is Star Wars is on the mind of lots of people. And so we've already done episodes going through the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy and the new film. So we don't, we're not going to try to, you know, beat that dead horse. Um, Tauntaun. But, <laughs> right. I'm not going to beat a dead Tauntaun, uh, slice it open and crawl inside. <sighs> I thought they smelled bad. Uh, I am <laughs> Here we Here go. We it's Star Wars episode. <laughs> um, so, so what we are going to try to do is uh, start with just like a lay of the land of on a technical, objective, like factual, literal level. Like what what is Star Wars? What is the kind of the framing that we want around this conversation? And then each of the four of us has kind of prepared a subset question of uh, a aspect of this question of what is star wars that we think is interesting and that we want to explore so we're going to go around and each of us is going to put forth our question and then we're going to discuss so intro four kind of pillars of you know some corner of this question of what is star wars and then at the end kind of wrap up with uh with a little the little wrap up um so that's what we're going to try to do right now so uh, are you guys ready? Shall we begin? Let's go. I am, I'm ready. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. So what is Star Wars? And so part of why this is an interesting question and also a very di difficult conversation is that Star Wars has become so, so many things. It began obviously mm -hmm. as a single movie made back 45 years ago, and now it's 
9, 10, 11 movies. There's the Disney Plus shows now. There's video games. There's comics. There's so many things that are Star Wars. And it's not even just the quantity of it, as we'll go on to talk about. It's also that it's been around for so long. And so mm-hmm. what it meant to different people uh, was different because we were all different ages when we first interacted with Star Wars. And so the definition of Star Wars is kind of different for all of us because of the original context through which we saw it and then how that informs the later context of the later entries and, and up to where we are now. So there's lots of things. It's taken many forms. It's a story that's been told by many different people and has embodied many different styles. So there's a lot to, to uh, hold when talking about this. Trisha, you made a very handy little uh, graph that you also tweeted out uh, recently. Do you want to kind of explain to the listeners what you what you made? <laughs> For those on YouTube, I am holding up my very technical, <laughs> high tech uh, graph that I made. Um, which, so what I was trying to do um, when I did this, it's essentially a timeline um, where you know at first when we were discussing what is star wars i was like i just want to see it in front of me like all in one place put it on a chart and 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 chart it out by like time physical you know the temporal universe in which we <laughs> occupy <laughs> like, timeline not the timeline of the story so my right. timeline does not start you know uh with the phantom menace or whatever um or even before that with the old republic whatever all of that stuff it doesn't do any of that it's about 1977 to our current day in 2022 and So I just started by mapping out all of the different properties. And of course, it's not exhaustive because as you mentioned, Michael, there's like novels and comic books and like animated series and then like live action series. There's there's too much. Um, But I focused on mainly like here's what's on the screen. Um, And uh, in terms of like live action, here's what we have on our our big screens, if we want to put it that way. So I mapped it out and then I thought it would be useful just to note that there have been some major like sort of tonal creative just sort of feeling shifts as content was created and that has to do with creative control um which there was one major shift in creative control over star wars that happened in 2012 when george lucas sold lucasfilm to disney for four billion dollars um which i feel like does not get said enough that was four billion dollars is how much he did that for and like that was that was a really big one but even within what i call the georgian era of of star wars which begins in 1977 and ends in 2012 there were sort of includes the ewok epoch yes the the ewok epoch is in there uh yeah so it's like During the Georgian era, there was, you know, George Lucas was taking one approach toward making the films, what I call the classical era, where he was, you know, very much influenced by like Joseph Campbell's Hero with a Thousand Faces and other like these big archetypal stories um, and was like strictly going for, you know, he was influenced by Flash Gordon serials and we've talked about all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's like there was that classical sort of early period. um, And then I identified the Ewok epoch as like late in terms of in the classical period where George Lucas got really interested in in um 
furry creatures and <laughs> the toys that he could tell mm -hmm. by integrating them into his films. And uh, then, you know, there's a, a definite shift as he moved into the 90s um, with the prequels, where the prequels, we can all agree, regardless of what you think of them, are very different in tone um, and very different in like content and plot and genre, yeah. like even than the films of the classical period. So I call that the Gungan period. <laughs> uh, that's uh, mainly because I tried to pick like in like with calling out Ewok specifically, I tried to pick, you know, some of the most controversial choices that that really stand out in people's mind about mm -hmm. the prequels. Um, and certainly Jar Jar Binks and the Gungans are among the first like the it's the first thing anybody will say to you, basically, <laughs> if they don't like the prequels. Um, and then, you know, so at the end of the Georgian era, we move into the franchise era beginning in 2012. Um and then I feel like that sort of has also distinctive periods, but it's messier, mm -hmm. right? There's like a sort of relaunch period. And then what I like to call the reflexive period, which is when Star Wars got really interested in navel gazing and <laughs> figuring out what it all was. <laughs> and uh, that was brief and unpleasant for some fans and a relief to some of the rest of us uh, who were also starting to get really interested in that reflexive question. Um, and then the current period I like to call the exhaustive period um because we are just being inundated by new star wars content constantly um but that's kind of an overview i i think you know i just made names up for all of this stuff and like but the the things i'm marking are real right the things i was trying to like get my brain around were real things that many many people have identified as being like for a while, Star Wars was this, mm -hmm. and then this kind of thing changed, and then it wasn't quite that other thing anymore, but it kind of was because George Lucas was still making it, but it was certainly different, and um, so I, I just wanted to get some of that down on paper in like sort of a an analytical, quantitative way that was just helpful for me in, in tackling this question, what is Star Wars? Yeah, and it also helps, as you're saying, like show visually the the gaps in time for which as you're saying this is what star wars was like for a while star wars was just episodes four through six and then for a while star wars was episodes one through six and maybe there'll never be another one and then it changed mm -hmm. and then it kept going and kept going and so yeah i think it is like a nice visual marker of like there have been big chunks of period where there was some kind of solid definition of what star wars was but that has changed multiple times over the years as well. Right. And of course, as you're pointing out, as you pointed out earlier, it's worth noting that fans have come to the the series at every single point in this timeline. Right. right? right. So like you might have come in, you know, if you came in in 2012, then there were six movies. And so to you, right, the, the Georgian era of Star Wars was what Star Wars was for sure. But if you came in in the middle of the franchise era, say in 2017, um, you know, that was when The Last Jedi came out. I just picked that as a random year. But like if you came in at that point, you might already have a more fluid definition. What if the first movie you saw was Rogue One? <laughs> I mean, right, it's right. possible, right? Um, and so your definition might, you know, look like a much bigger picture or yeah, be much more fluid and, and might, you know, to you, the franchise era films uh, or whatever those look like to you, you know, might be the most 
untouchable or like pure, you know, example of what Star Wars is to you. So, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll pick up from there, which is, you know, kind of thinking where we are now. I'm thinking about what's happened over the last seven years, you know, 10 years for, for Disney, seven years for us as, as the fans, um, which is, you know, that Disney picks up this massive IP. And then of course the, the first thing in front of you is this unfinished nutology, you know, trilogy of trilogies, basically mm-hmm. where it's like, there was supposed to be nine, there was only six. So I guess let's do seven, eight, nine. Right. But then it's, well, I don't know if anyone, you know, I don't know if the audiences we want to get are going to go see the Han, Luke and Leia movie. So now we have to make the Han, Luke and Leia movies while also making the here's your new set of heroes movie. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of that is, you know, (laughs) it is impressive how much the new trilogy does pull that off in a way of like trying to sort of settle things with these older characters while making us fall in love with these, um, these, you know, this band, new band of characters. Um, and uh but then of course there was as we as plenty of people have talked about we don't need to get into there was sort of just like a lack of a plan of what that trilogy was so it sort of became this like messy thing that we can point to specific filmmakers or specific producers for but it's like it was really just a a a lack of a plan you know probably just getting started too quickly um and then also trying to make these other two spin-off movies in the middle so, you know, those movies all made a lot of money, but also turned off a lot of old fans uh, who were just like, well, mm-hmm. if this is what Star Wars is now, then I guess I don't care about Star Wars anymore. It used to be my favorite thing ever. But then you are getting new fans, too, who are watching these three new movies and going, I love this. What is this? You know, and, and discovering this brand new franchise for them. Um, and then now we get into the Mandalorian and Boba Fett era where or chapter which is like now we're trying to get back older fans with this sort of more kind of gritty sandy uh feel (laughs) and everything um and then that's that has worked you know there are a lot of people are excited about like dave filoni making live action star wars stuff and and getting some of these clone wars characters and and seeing someone like boba fett get you know his own story um but then you know, as we've talked about on our Boba Fett episodes, and we'll talk about plenty in this episode, like there's inconsistency within these projects where like within one project, it feels like it's trying to be many things at once. And then also these projects have all been shoved up against the original trilogy. Like every single thing mm-hmm. has been like here, this is how it connects to the the first three movies. Don't worry, we're not going to stray too far from this safe area. And as Alex said in in one of our Boba Fett episodes, it feels like this franchise is being spread very thin when it's like you have literally galaxies of of stuff out there. And and what you're doing is just trying to make everything take place, you know, geographically and time wise right around these first three movies. Mm. Um, And again, some of it is some of it is I've really enjoyed and some of it, you know, question mark, whatever. But like that is kind of where we are right now, I think, is that Disney is still trying to figure out where to go from here with Star Wars. It's sort of let's kind of blue milk this original trilogy that we have. And then sorry, cheers. Um, And uh, but then but then like haven't maybe decided what is actually next. Like what is the, Mm. the next real step for this franchise? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, the um, the recent Scream movie, which is always very self-reflexive about the state of the film industry, identified this term called the requel, which is a reboot mm. sequel. And there's all mm. these like mandates for a reboot sequel. You got to have 
like original series characters have got to come back. We mm-hmm. also have to introduce new characters and it's got to be like a new, uh, young, fresh, you know, set of characters for the new fans. And, and it's funny in, in screen, there's a whole like monologue about requels and all the requirements of them. And as they're listing all the requirements, it quickly becomes obvious. This is impossible. Like this is not a good idea right. for anything to try to, to meet these requirements. Uh, but it's a real thing right now. I mean, you think about even, you know, and I think a, a, an example of an elevated requel would be Blade Runner 2049, where you right. got to have Deckard come mm-hmm. back, you know, and it's got to be a big deal when Harrison Ford appears. Um, that's got to be a thing or else it's not a true, you know, reboot sequel. And uh, and I think, yeah, you can just really feel that with Disney's approach to everything here, which is uh, you they don't have the freedom that George Lucas really had that he gave himself with the prequels where he really was just, I am making original stories in this universe. They might feel vastly different and like disconcerting to fans. Actually, I I'm, I'm inventing whole new worlds and planets and uh, types of politics and complexities and uh, science (laughs) in this universe that, (laughs) that aren't part of my original, you know, trilogy. Uh, But, but it's new and, and, it doesn't feel like anybody can do that in the franchise era. You know, there, there's no opportunity mm. for that because uh, it's now everything is in service of like the requel requirements. Um, yeah. So that's that that is kind of I think the um, the malaise I think we all start to feel sometimes is we're trapped in the requel bubble and yeah, can we break out of it? You know, that's mm. is, that's like kind of the question now is we're in this messy malaise period is there a way to to burst out of this box that it feels like the franchise is trapped in um so yeah so that's <laughs> that's star wars that's, so that's our little prologue <laughs> preface <laughs> these are all the things that that one wrestles with when asking oneself what is star wars yeah well and so i feel like that kind of connects to my question so to begin our our people bringing questions to the table section the thing that i've been really interested in investigating leading up to this is and this probably isn't a surprise because i'm a structure nerd but like what is the form of star wars and so Mm. going back to the original 1977 a new hope like what form did that story take like what was the shape of it what was the kind of storytelling that was happening then how did it evolve over time and kind of like what we're saying about where we are now, like it's, we're so far away from where it began that that's, I think also adding to the, the being spread so thin because the original content, I don't think was meant to support all of the things that it has now writing mm-hmm. on its foundation. So yeah. So to just kind of like quickly go over, like the original Star Wars, like just the source material. Like at one point there was just the one movie and, you know, George <laughs> Lucas had plans for more things. There's a lot of, you know, fun backstory about the making of it and all the things that almost were and almost weren't and how it was kind of saved in editing and all these different things. Um, but, and I, I am this person, I was reading Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell last night just to like refresh all the things. But the original Star Wars movie, I think, functions obviously very well as this monomyth thing, right? George Lucas was consulting with Joseph Campbell while writing. Like, there's a reason that is the case. 
and it's it's very far away from the kinds of movies we make now and mm-hmm. in tons of ways like in filmmaking wise and style and all this stuff but also just in in the story structure and the design of the characters like it's a it's a morality tale there is good there is evil it's really simple um it's pretty contained also like it it does have a scope you know you are going to these like far off worlds and galaxies but when you actually track the number of things most of the time the empire is seen in a boardroom like they're just chatting in a conference room and darth vader's yep. kind of walking back and forth and they're talking about their plans and then you got tatooine the millennium falcon death star rebel base and that's it like that's the extent of the star wars universe in the original thing and the character design is super simple archetypal it's been talked about for forever but like luke is a really simple protagonist the things that we know about him are he's a farm boy and he dreams of adventure he's got an aunt and uncle and his dad was a knight and he kind of like wants to be like this memory of his dad sort of and that's he likes like power converters <laughs> right he likes yeah <laughs> And, and bullseyeing womp rats. Right. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Just a normal kid, like all of yeah. us. Yeah. Uh, but like, yeah, that's all That's all we know about him. And all the characters around him are equally simple because they're just playing a role in the character web that is the, you know, the kind of diagram of morality in this world. So you have Han Solo, who's like, I'm a rogue smuggler. I'm like, not, I'm not going to take a side. I'm not here for the rebellion i'm not here for the empire i'm looking out for myself kid mm-hmm. you have the mentor obi-wan who's like i'm here to teach you about the force and push you to cross the threshold and go on this adventure and teach you about all these th- so it's like and then darth vader he's just evil bad guy like it's all very simple <laughs> you have the princess like he's you have all those fantasy elements right where he's like the young farm boy that goes off and like gets captured into the castle and has to rescue the princess and they escape like there's all these really classical elements there and all the characters are there to yeah push luke along his arc or show him the different ways of living and it's basically just about luke going from kind of naivete to adulthood sort of like he doesn't his morality doesn't change like he wants to join the rebellion in the beginning but i think along the way he's learning what has to be sacrificed sometimes for the greater good anyway so original star wars super simple the sequels empire and return of the jedi kind of do different things with that and we can kind of get into that but the fundamental problem that is I think inherent in any sequel is that when you have an original thing where all the characters are well designed, it means that they are designed for the protagonist in that situation very specifically. And when you then have to remove them from that context and repurpose them elsewhere, most of the time they're not going to be the characters that you need to tell whatever this other story is. So I think that's, that's just kind of my opening, my main thoughts on all that and what I think is so different about where we are now with Star Wars versus where we began. Well, all of that's super interesting because I'm reminded that when Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi came out, people were pretty bumpy on them. Um, 
first of all, critics were critical of all three movies because they were like, kids' movies, bah! Um, and and just basically were critiquing them for being so earnest and so simple all the time. Um, not that there weren't, you know, they you when you read reviews from the time, you often hear praise for the technical innovations um, and the fun of watching them. And I, I can't wait to talk to you guys more about fun because it's a word you hear a mm. lot when you talk to Star Wars fans um, and what they what they love about Star Wars. So critics were not, you know, not universally panning these films or anything, but there was like a, a critique of the simplicity of the design, as you're pointing out. And audiences also bumped on the repurposing of the characters from A New Hope to do different things in the sequels. So the reveal that Darth Vader is Luke's father did not strike everybody the right way because... A New Hope is about good and evil, as you're pointing mm. out. And Darth Vader is evil. Like, that's what we know about him. He is the embodiment of evil. Um, and so this, like, sudden reveal that he is Luke's father is was, like, so jarring so as, as to be distasteful. Um, and, yeah, felt kind of like a retcon a little <laughs> bit because we huh? definitely heard that Luke's dad died. For sure he did. And, um, you know, it's part of the reason Luke wants to be who he is. And, you know, we can look back on that with a lot of forgiveness now because for, you know, basically George Lucas managed to pull off something that wasn't designed to be what it became, but he he pulled it off um, with with characters like Darth Vader. But, you know, the love triangle aspects of the trilogy are an absolute, the original trilogy are an absolute mess. The design of Leia as like a rebellious princess works great in A New Hope mm -hmm. and just fades into the background yeah. in Empire and especially in Return of the Jedi. She's not really a rebellious princess. She's not really a princess. She's not really a rebel either. She's just kind of there. Um and so, yeah, there's just like, and by mean, I rebel, I don't mean part of the rebellion. Obviously she is that, but just, just the like, um, yeah, free spirit, lots of agency, very feisty, you know, kind of character we had met in New Hope. And so like, even within the original trilogy, although we kind of think of them as being this uh, very successful, you know, repurposing of that form and those characters and archetypal in their own way, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, heroes struggling with their relationships with their fathers that is very archetypal it's shakespearean like there are many ancient forms that um wrestle with that sort of decision right um and those are themes that are introduced in a new hope and explored more so again it was it was pulled off um by the original trilogy but as the the content generator has continued <laughs> you see uh, especially you know, as you point out, the new films that are being shoved up against the original trilogy, not so much the prequels because George Lucas did what the hell he wanted. Um, they have their own things going on. <laughs> but that, yeah, the stretching and bending of the characters and the form gets more and more and more difficult to do um when you're like well but what you didn't know about leia is that also she's right. a jedi <laughs> you're like oh really okay uh well but we didn't george lucas didn't even know that she was you know luke's sister so why why would that be and, and that's that's one been a trademark of star wars since 1980 and the empire strikes back like um that that 
disorientation feeling where you're it's like why am i hearing this about this character now that feels a little bit like late information on that or maybe it's disingenuous right yeah and you know and it's obviously not unique to star wars right we just talked about definitely the matrix a lot yes and i think Mm -hmm. the matrix is another great example of this where the matrix the original great monomyth hero's journey like all the hits checks all the boxes it's great all the characters are there to be like archetypal and ex- pull the character in these different ways and explore different aspects of the psyche as you're going through this question of you know figuring out what reality is and then it's like okay make more and it's like okay well that's a program and uh <laughs> let's see there's the so zion Smith, he's back he's back right you got to bring him back so like just like naturally when you have to do more you have to move pieces around and that's going to break some of the stuff from before and yeah yeah it's just it's it's a really interesting struggle that i think is inherent in any kind of sequel adventure for sure and then thinking about the prequels you know not just even the franchise era we're in now but the prequels i think we're so disorienting to people because you know they really are operating in a different language like you said michael these original films you know even though they they had to contort themselves a bit and and changed as they went it is still the story of luke skywalker and this like archetypal father-son story and it is still ultimately about good versus evil we got the emperor there just like pure evil personified and then you've got this prequel story that is like weirdly labyrinthian in its politics uh with all this like kind of like mystery about all these names Mm -hmm. who's jedi master cypher deus and count dooku and the trade federation one of these days you'll get that name right yeah (laughs) what's it what's it actually it's cypher deus there's no r well whatever (laughs) i don't know yeah i was gonna say that doesn't clear up anything about who yeah (laughs) cypher deus whatever um Anyway, yeah, basically, like, none of that feels at all like the original trilogy, which is, it's very clear who everybody is. There's no convoluted politics happening. There's an evil empire and a good rebellion. And, and it's interesting just to think about, yeah, the prequel era and how that, it did expand the Star Wars universe in a way because it did say, no, this can also be a universe for almost more like modern stories Mm. you know i i wish the modern stories george lucas was telling during that time like made more sense and were easier to follow but but i think it was an interesting choice that he made to to essentially move the series forward into this like more complex universe with like a senate and like political maneuvering and so you know we don't have any of that in in the original trilogy um and and so that's that's the interesting thing about Star Wars is that George Lucas, when if he's the man who's allowed to make choices, he made a choice to to go beyond the archetypal simplicity of the original trilogy. And but now that's out of his hands, you know, now what is it? Because he's not there to make the audacious choice to make this about a trade blockade. <laughs> um, sure. So what is a new filmmaker to do, you know, with this yeah, yeah. franchise? Because George you know, showed it could go in these radically different directions. Uh, but do we want that? And, you know, what do we do now? Yeah. 
To add to all of your points, you know, part of the problem, especially with prequels, but also with sequels, as you were saying, Michael, is, you know, you you introduce a character who is mysterious and only exists in your mind as, as uh, you know, as what the movie shows you, right? Or a character or an idea or a place or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and then a prequel especially will show you all of that stuff. Like, first of all, we already know this stuff because we heard the character say it. Second of all, now it's not in our head. Like, is it going to be as cool on the screen as it was in our head when we heard about it? You know, what mm-hmm. is the Clone Wars? That sounds badass. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's less. Um, <laughs> and, you know, or, or like... Hey, remember Darth Vader? Here he is zipping around on pod race and going yippee. Like, is that what people want when when you see Darth Vader? Right. Like, first of all, do you ever want to see his face in the original trilogy? I don't know. I think it's a good choice. Um, but then do you want to see him as a child running around having fun like that? Just now you've like changed fundamentally who this character is in our in our brain. And then on top of that, you have like these movies literally referencing themselves where, you know, Trisha referred to it as the reflexive period, but even what is it? Episode two, you know, Obi-Wan says to Anakin, like, why do I get the feeling you'll be the death of me one day or whatever. Right. Where it's like, wait, have you, has he seen star Wars? Like, <laughs> right. um, or, you know, I mentioned before Finn's, uh, you know, numbers two, one, eight, seven, which is princess Leia. So it's like, again, it sounds like a fan making a star Wars movie and not trying to like, like, you know, we talked about The Godfather, like trying to make this world feel organic and like it all actually exists within itself. Um, but then so, yeah, that's all really frustrating. Um, but then the other thing I think about a lot is I like I also feel as much as possible. It's on the consumer to decide how much to engage with that expanded co- content and how much they let it affect their enjoyment of the original thing. So like. If you can't watch the original trilogy without thinking about midi-chlorians when, like, someone uses the Force or thinking about Gungans when someone mentions, you know, whatever, or, like, romantic romps through fields when Luke says, like, what do you remember about your mother? Like, it's kind (laughs) of on you because the original thing hasn't changed. Just uh, creators have created more lore around it. Um And, you know, I was thinking like to use a crazy example, like let's say some random person on the Internet says, hey, the mosquito in Jurassic Park, a a witch dug that up in the 1600s and put a spell on it. And that's why there's dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. Right. And you can read that and be like, well, that's dumb. I don't care. Um, But like, hopefully you're now not going to like not be able to watch Jurassic Park anymore without thinking about witches, right? Hopefully you can ignore that random person on the internet and watch the movie because it's literally it all I'm going to be thinking about now, Brian. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. You just ruined Trisha's right. favorite movie <laughs> of all time. Right. But like, but like, right, you know, there's fanfic out there. There's all this kind of stuff. There's fan theories and everything like that. Like you're going to sift through that and you're going to read it and it's not going to, you know, hopefully it's not going to change the original thing for you. But now let's say that random person on the internet has $4 billion and buys <laughs> Jurassic Park and then makes a movie where the witch digs up the thing. And like, now that is canon. But like, how is that different? Like he just paid a bunch of money to, to make it be canon versus writing it on the internet, whatever. But like in both cases, the original movie has not changed 
by a frame. So it's it's up to you now. Do you do you engage? And I know you guys have thoughts about this. So I want to hear them. But I, but I feel like it's up to you whether or not to to let lore that someone else made kind of affect um you know affect your appreciation of the original thing. There's a funny aside. The original movies, you actually can't even get access to them. I was they have, say, the, they the have been changed have changed by many frames. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, so I think this kind of thing exists on like a spectrum also. Like I think in an ideal world, that's absolutely true. Uh, and that I think it's going to vary from person to person based on different emotional things. To turn the dial to 11, which is a thing I like to do when testing out a theory of like, okay, but does this hold up when you turn it to zero, when you turn it you know, to 11 mm-hmm. or 100? is like, I'm just going to go ahead and bring 9-11 into this. If oh, you great. see the two, the twin towers, I'm not going to be able to see the picture of the twin towers and not be like, oh man, 9-11 sucked because that was like, a horrible, horrific thing that my brain has now connected to the image of this other thing. But like in that picture, the two towers are fine. So in theory, I shouldn't be associating it with these other like experiences that I've had. But I feel like that's an unreasonable expectation for someone. So like that's just using that as an example of like the, the extremity side of the spectrum and like how our brains work. Right. You can't change that like a movie that was made in the 80s now suddenly has a new context for you because you see the New York skyline in it or something. Sure. Right. Well, it's almost like how much trauma have you incurred (laughs) from from later Star Wars movies? Like, like, do you actually have a trauma response from from having something ripped away from you that was precious? And, you know, I think. That is a valid uh, experience. You know, if, if, if it was actually traumatic for a universe that you really put a lot of like faith into which is i guess part of the question i want to bring up later is like fandom and the intensity we feel towards these you know ips um i think there probably is like a mild trauma that then <laughs> that maybe is triggered you know that like the the way you mentioned you know the 9-11 allegory like i think that isn't that far from the truth for some people when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have a few thoughts here. Um, The first one of which is that part of the nature of movies as a medium is that we are kind of put in the position as audience members of just having to consume what we are shown, right? And this dates back to the beginning of the medium. It's kind of the people's medium, right? Like it is designed for the masses. It is designed to be shown to people from all walks of life um, and to have wide mass appeal. However, back in the day, um, you know, movies were so prohibitively expensive to make that you were kind of at the mercy and whims of huge studio executives because those were the only people who had access to the technology to make movies. And so part of the nature of being a cinema goer is just 
putting, being willing to put yourself in the hands and put your butt in seat and just watching what is being curated for you, right? It's not like a book where you walk into a library or a bookstore and you literally have a million choices and you are in control of what you consume. Uh, now that is getting, obviously at this stage in life, we have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot more choices, but when it comes to huge films and franchises and still like when we think about movie as like spectacle, that is still cost prohibitive to create. So the nature of being a moviegoer and wanting to have that big expensive experience being given to you is again, to put yourself in the hands of huge studio executives who get to decide what it is that you watch and what it is that you get to see. Um, now, again, you know, not that you've never seen an indie movie, obviously, but just that these kinds of films and what they are and what they do is they're still beholden by the nature of what it costs to make them and the business side of the movie industry, right? Execs are going to shell out $250 million to make a movie. They get to decide what they make. And of course, naturally, what they are going to decide to make is something that is going to minimize the financial risk that they are taking. That being said, to bring it back a little bit to the form of these films, they were designed... I mean, by George Lucas himself to be hits like he, you know, didn't know Star Wars would be a hit. But the story that he set out to tell was a story with broad appeal um, and was being aimed squarely at young people, but just sort of people with, um, you know, uh, simplistic tastes. As we're talking about, these were simplistic archetypal stories, the kind that people all over the world, the monomyth, um, have been telling for down down the centuries right. um, around firesides, you know, and so it's just like Lucas set out not not necessarily knowing he would make blockbuster huge hits that would redefine what film is, but he did design these movies to have broad appeal. So the kind of nature of the beast is we are at the mercy of whoever is making Star Wars to just make whatever it is that they are going to make. And um, like, I think that it is, uh, you're not wrong to complain about the quality if you want to, right? But at the same time, um, I, was, uh, I, I was recently talking to someone about the Jurassic Park franchise, and I was reminded of a quote from Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, <laughs> Which is when the 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 villain of the week in that movie uh, says to the creators of the dinosaurs, you know, what do you want me to do? Go back in time before Hammond first made dinosaurs? You can't put it back in the box. Um, and that's kind of what happened the minute we had any Star Wars sequels. Once you have even one more piece of property, you can't put it back in the box. Um, once A New Hope makes millions and millions and millions of dollars 
there's no putting that back in the box at that point. And so like, we're just kind of along for the ride and we kind of just have to be along for the ride. And I do think that we should be choosy consumers. And I I can't wait to get into the conversation about what it might mean to be a responsible consumer. If there is such a thing (laughs) of the star Wars franchise, I'm not sure there is or, or what that even might mean as a phrase uh, now that I've said it, but but I do think that that's a good, it's a good reminder that this medium is like Star Wars is, it was at the time A New Hope was so very successful because it was using the medium to its full power, like harnessing all of the money, all of the technology, all of the like storytelling tools that existed at that time to tell the story with the broadest possible appeal that was the most fun, but that was also super easy to consume and enjoy by absolutely anybody. Right. Yeah. Universally accessible using the medium to its fullest extent in ways that no one had ever seen before, like you're saying, and still like a powerful, again, archetypal, fundamental human story that everyone can be moved by. And yeah, so I do want to move on to the next question. Just kind of the last form thing I'll say is that I think there's, I think we could talk for a long time just about the form and go through like literally every single piece of Star Wars media to track when it's being more simplistic and when it's not. And I feel like the the more Star Wars is engaging with good and evil, that's when I am mm. tuned into it more because I feel like that's what it's built for more. I think that's maybe why I like Rey. I think she's a very simplistic protagonist the way that Luke is a very simplistic protagonist. And some of the new characters have similar archetypal roles and all that stuff. I think... I revisited Rogue One. Rogue One almost has a similar thing going on with Jin, but the design of the characters and the character web isn't doing the same kind of like work and there's lots of plot issues still. But so there there are these moments in the Star Wars films where it does feel like it's getting back to that root of just like good versus evil, but what maybe needs to be sacrificed in order to achieve the good. And then there are other moments where they start trying to get into the gray areas and like the moral ambiguity and stormtroopers are now taking off their helmets and it's not faceless evil people. It's like, Oh, that person was drafted from that planet. So like maybe it's not fun to watch the rebels destroy the death star anymore. And I feel like that's for me when star Wars starts to fall apart a little bit. And I think it all kind of comes back to just the, the form of the original and what the original is built to do. Mm. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's interesting because every Star Wars is about the gray area, if you think about it. Every, at least every complete story, which is Darth Vader is the evil guy getting the redemption. Prequels, or sorry, original trilogy is the evil guy getting the redemption. Prequels are the, you know, fresh-faced kid becoming the, the bad guy. And then the new movies, the new trilogy is you have Kylo Ren sort of you know, somehow uh, climbing out of his of his evil <laughs> hole and, and getting a, a cuddle at the end. Um, and then Rogue One and Solo are like scoundrel characters who are kind of your good guys. And so is Boba Fett. And so is Mandalorian to a slightly lesser extent. But it's like we are kind of always working in this with the exception of the first movie. And I guess maybe Phantom and Menace. Empire, I would say. I think Empire isn't all the way sure. to Darth Vader redeem story. Sure. Yeah. It's yeah. not. It's still but with the exception all. of those few movies, it's like it's always kind of this good, bad, and then kind of what is the gray area up to. 
Mm. But but I will say that it, when I think about another the other big sci-fi franchise, Star Trek, like that is a universe that isn't tied to the the archetypal simplicity of you know the, those original couple Star Wars films. You know, like like Michael was saying, it feels like Star Wars when we're engaging in these like these big like pathos, you know, good and evil and redemption and father and son. And the world of Star Trek is like a nerdy world with like warp drives and class M planets and first contact protocols. And that's the kind of universe that you can build out, I think. And it still feels like Star Trek because Mm. like this is like a technical universe that has like hard sci-fi rules and like a limited number of spacefaring cultures. Like there's Klingons and Vulcans. There's not an infinite array of possible creatures forever and ever. And so it's a it's like a it's like a harder thing you can just like hold on to and just like tell stories in that world. There's still expectations for a Star Trek anything like it's probably gonna be on a ship with a captain and a crew. But I don't feel like there's as much like angst in that community about like, oh, my God, this isn't a Star Trek story. This doesn't feel right. I mean, they can people prefer different series or movies and they're as crazy as any other fan base. But I feel like there's more of like a betrayal feeling in the Star Wars world where it's it's like there was this feeling that star wars gave me and if it's not giving me that feeling it's not right whereas in a place like star trek it's like well it's still it's still there's vulcans here and there's a warp drive and you know there's the technical aspects that make it still star trek and is star wars a universe that holds together in that same way without the pathos without the you know mythological emotions well and i think that there are other fantasy universes that were always created either whole cloth in full complexity like lord of the rings mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like was way created over created and oh you know over much detail um before it was ever written right so like other universes that were either created with like basically infinite complexity and whole cloth at the outset or there are universes like Star Trek, where, which were created to be expanded upon and added to and like re-explored or changed perhaps, right? Like it was always designed to be this open-ended thing. And there's no denying that when you watch A New Hope, it it doesn't, you know, there's these cool like distant hills that we've talked about before where it's like, oh, what could be over there at Tashi Station? Um, or like, you know, oh, what are the Clone Wars? Oh, what is you know, um, all of this like backstory, we, it, it, we're curious about it, but it's not like it was ever designed to be a real thing. Mm. It's like hints of a world that maybe existed, um, that maybe like it could exist, but it's not designed to have any bearing on the characters here and now, like, whereas in these other sort of, you know, uh, these other sort of universes there's they were created with that in mind with like length and breadth of the story um already sort of built into them to start off with and so yeah you know i know george lucas wanted to make nine movies to start off with but it's not like he had already written them he right, definitely right. did not um and he hadn't <laughs> even really written a new hope when he sold it like he so it's like he had a rough kind of plan of like i want to do this and and he'll be, the, you know, he's been the first one to say, like, yeah, these were designed to be like these old serials where they all end on a cliffhanger. And like, who knows what's going to happen next? Maybe I don't know either. <laughs> like, it, that was kind of his thing. And so that's kind of what you get. So if you want something neat, 
I don't know, go lead, read Lord of the Rings. Like, or if you want something that's going to be messy, but kind of on purpose, like watch a Star Trek thing. Um, but there's, yeah, this one is just like, it feels messy, but we don't like it feeling messy because the thing we were first introduced to felt all of a piece. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think to wrap it up, I think Brian, you said it maybe in a Boba Fett or maybe it was offline, but the, yeah, the original Star Wars, there's a lot of, there's myth, right? That's like what you're talking about, Trisha. There's distant hills yeah. and stuff like in the background that creates this kind of mythic feeling. But the more you dive into it, the more you're like demythologizing. It's just cardboard it when you get there. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a backdrop. Yeah. So, yeah. So clearly, again, Star Wars, big topic. Ask a question, <laughs> a million branches like spring yeah. forth. Uh, but I think it's that's all good. And we can, we're going to carry all these, these, topics and tiny touch points forward as we move on. Trisha, let's go to your question. What is the question you are bringing into the discussion? So my question, we've already started to get into a little bit, but my question was sort of about creative integrity. And is creative integrity something that we expect or want from a Star Wars movie? Um, I think the expectation piece is a really interesting one. Um, because part of the sort of mythos of the original trilogy and George Lucas himself is that he had a tremendous amount of creative control. Um, so for those that don't know, George Lucas in his original deal on A New Hope, um, made sure to like build into his contract that he would maintain um, ownership of the sequel. So he had like sequel rights basically um, from day one. And in fact, he took a really low paycheck on that movie himself. Um, it was 150 grand, uh, in movie terms, believe me when I tell you is, is Nothing. very, very low. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, you know, he, that was coming off of American Graffiti, by the way, which was a huge hit. And so he had a lot of negotiating room. He could have negotiated a lot more money for himself at the outset, but decided not to in order to maintain creative control. Um, and then notoriously, uh, he also renegotiated later uh, the merchandising rights for himself as well, which is part and parcel of this whole thing, right? Um, and I, I do want to get into that. But so there's that information at the time was widely known or, or fairly widely known about George Lucas and especially going into the Gungan period uh, as the 90s were moving us closer and closer to an actual prequel trilogy and more Star Wars. It was like George Lucas was the guy. Like everybody wanted to talk to him. Everybody wanted to get into his brain because we knew that he had basically carte blanche and could do whatever he wanted with those. And so part of the original six movies, um, the films of the Georgian era, if you will, part of that was this expectation that we were just being told whatever George Lucas wanted us to, and here's the artist, and the artist is going to make art for us, and, and here we go. Um, that in itself, I think, needs interrogating. Um, because obviously it's not like George Lucas made every creative decision on every Star Wars movie ever. We all know that that's not true. Um, and we all know, again, that movie making is a business. So we can't say for sure that every single creative decision he did make, he made with pure creative integrity. I'll set that there for now. <laughs> Just 
that's a little thing we can just set right here. Y'all can pick it up if you want to. Um, but moving into the franchise era, we have we have taken to as an internet culture laying our complaints, whatever they may be, about the franchise properties at the feet of the creatives. Um, for the most part. And I just want to talk about who gets to make Star Wars and what what do we think about these handful of people, there aren't that many actually, um, who get to make Star Wars. What do we expect of them? What do we want from them? Is there such a thing as creative integrity in that world? And so really quick, like when you're saying create creative integrity, like how are you defining that? Like putting I think what I mean, the art yeah. over the commerce kind of sure thing. yes uh, that's exactly what i mean yeah mm-hmm. is when we are are we expecting our creators to make the best creative decision right like if a thing is right for a character or for a story from a from an artistic standpoint is that what we are expecting from our star wars films yeah it it's so interesting because especially when you are dealing with this with with some existing franchise it, it's like there are certain boxes that you're expected to check but also if everything is too familiar then no one cares because it's like well we've already seen that before right um and i was thinking about you know when you had told us your question was going to be about who gets to make star wars content i was thinking like well who has been making it for the past you know 10 years and it's like you have seasoned star wars people like lawrence kasdan and dave filoni which like that seems like an obvious choice, right? Get get people who have made this thing before um, and and have them help out. And then you have super fans who are also like talented, safe choice filmmakers like J.J. Abrams and Jon Favreau, who it's like, oh, they've made things where if you've seen, you know, Iron Man or even Elf, weirdly, or, you know, um, uh, uh, JJ's Star Trek. It's like, oh, okay, I could see a very straight line between that and a and a safe Star Wars movie. And then, and this is kind of getting into your point, Trisha, you have the Ryan Johnsons and Gareth Edwards of it all, where you're like, ooh, like that's a weird kind of oddball choice, which I think for, for us in the room is an exciting choice uh, generally is like, it's like, Ooh, like that's what, what's their star Wars going to look like. Um, But then I think what ends up happening is those people are not able to make their star Wars. And I think this is kind of the point you're talking about, Trisha. It's like, they are making their version of what the studio has instructed them to do. You know, here are all, here are the 90 boxes you have to check as long as you check all 90 of those boxes, you can do whatever you want. It's like, well, okay, but, but what's left. Right. Um, and you know, I think one of the, one of my biggest disappointments about all of this is that we'll never get to see an original Ryan Johnson star Wars movie because we saw the, you're inheriting this trilogy that hasn't been planned out. So you're making the second movie and we're not really going to tell you, like we're not going to say no to a lot of your choices, which was, which would like, he has said in interviews, he's like, every, everything I said, there's like, okay, which sounds great. But then you can also tell right. that there were still a lot of boxes that had to be checked, right? There's still a lot of like, let's get those porgs in there or, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, but it's like, yeah, I want to see the, the original 
not tied to anything Ryan Johnson Star Wars movie or or trilogy. I want to see Patty Jenkins Rogue Squadron. You know, I don't know if I want to see a David Fincher or Chris Nolan like Star Wars movie, but <laughs> I'm open to it. You know, <laughs> like like I'm open to to handing it handing the franchise to a filmmaker and just kind of saying go make your own thing that is kind of whatever your vision is. Um and uh and yeah so it's so it's sort of this interesting thing where and we see this with marvel too which is like let's hire this visionary indie filmmaker to make a movie that we've already scripted 99 percent of in previs and they're just gonna i guess choose like how to you know i don't know maybe slightly move the camera or something or or like add a a line of dialogue somewhere um so yeah i i think it's like I, I get that we have to be in safe territory, especially for the big things, but I also just want I want there to be more creativity in Star Wars and mm. you know, Star Wars visions is like, let's just give nine Japanese filmmakers like carte blanche to just go make a thing. And that thing is not doesn't have to be in this big canon, you know, franchise thing. It's just these little these little 15 minute animated short films that exist on Disney Plus that you can go watch and you don't have to think about what bigger meaning it has for the star wars universe it's just hey cool someone made a star wars thing just like fan films or something right like just appreciating that someone made a thing that didn't have to have to check all these boxes Mm -mm. yeah part of what you're describing there is you know we see this with the marvel franchise you know with the the mcu it's like there is there is this studio managed universe that is is being designed to have kind of like you know, it has to all feel like it can coexist within this like managed uh, new like moving forward universe. We we have to bring in characters from other movies and other shows uh, and, and have it all kind of tie together. And over more and more years of time, more time goes by, you are expected as an audience member to have seen all previous installments in this universe. Um, and I think there's just kind of, if that is the model, like if the model for franchises must be kind of this like universe of sameness and interconnectivity, uh, then you you can't have big budget movies be like Star Wars Visions, where I've I've given mm. carte blanche to a bunch of filmmakers to just do like here's a universe that is very kind of wiggly. You know, you can you can kind of do whatever you want in the Star Wars universe. There are like certain markers of Star Warsiness that you can integrate into your story, but um it, it, you know there's an infinite timeline. You can go as far back as you want into like the old republic or you could theoretically go as far forward as you want if you want to dare to do that. Um theoretically it could be a really fun playground to just do a bunch of disparate stories in different genres, different types of films or TV shows, but it doesn't feel like yeah, for all the reasons you mentioned, Tricia, you know, the financial motivation is to, you know, we're gonna invest a ton of money in these things. What is the safe bet? The safe bet is this model that's already worked before the the kind of MCU or the, you know, the DC universe, like there's these this universe model that has this requirement of interconnectivity and sameness and management. And uh and I I just yeah, I I'm kind of tired of that (laughs) and Mm. and when brian brings up the idea of just let a bunch of filmmakers make different types of star wars movies uh that maybe don't have to be canon that maybe maybe we don't touch the skywalker story or that era Mm. and we just like but every other era or part of the universe 
just go do random stuff uh and and it can be part of this like star wars extended universe that we once had (laughs) (laughs) um i think that is that would be a solution that would be interesting that could that could bring back creative integrity as an expectation because right now i don't expect creative integrity i expect a managed franchise that has to have an overall feeling of kind of like sameness Right. Which, you know, the funny thing about Marvel is like how much Marvel has gotten away with. So, you know, someone pointed out that like back in 2013, DC was going, well, you know, we have very strict set of rules and we don't know if if they're ready for a Wonder Woman movie. Like, we don't know if the audiences can handle like that might be too confusing. And Kevin Feige's like, here's a raccoon with a machine gun. And and people are like, "Okay." so like the MCU has Thor Ragnarok and Winter Soldier like existing in the same universe. And and you could argue that makes no sense right but at least they are separate things that are tied together like when they tie together they tie together by like more of a thin thread um but but like there is a freedom there at least there is a freedom for for like taika to go make thor ragnarok and for that to just like be people's favorite mcu movie even though it seems to break all the rules right Mm. but in star wars it's like no you have to follow so many rules that then it starts to feel like we don't get the the kind of creative freedom that we're talking about yeah so i feel like i have kind of two thoughts off of this one of which is that i think to kind of what you're talking about brian here with the mcu is that the mcu came out of the gate with a pretty wide like spectrum right like you had yeah hulk which like was whatever i don't think i actually even saw the the hulk that's like officially part of the mcu but iron man but then like thor pretty quickly so like iron man billionaire makes his suit Thor, there are gods on another planet. They come here. Uh, Okay, great. So this is the bandwidth that this universe is trying to hold. And as we've already talked about Star Wars, the original bandwidth of it was pretty narrow. Um, And so I think that's also, again, to your kind of question, Trisha, the creative integrity, as you were pointing out, like you can't put it back inside the box, right? As soon as something is so popular and so financially viable like that is going to be the reason people keep making it and so and i think you can feel that even by return of the jedi right that's an arguable thing is that like by return of the jedi was it starting to be more of of like a less creatively integrativist <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep you got it, you got it. Uh, <laughs> entry or was it more we got to you know do the final one make make the money um and so I, and i think that's compounded in star wars by all these things that we're talking about which is like even if you wanted to be to have creative integrity with star wars what the hell does that mean like what does right. that mean for disney because i think you know kathleen kennedy all like all the people disney did take some interesting risks like jj i right. think is a safe hire but yeah ryan johnson like you're saying gareth edwards we're going to make Rogue One. It's about a group of people that all die at the end. Like, that's never happened in Star Wars before. Like, that's kind of a dark turn. Uh, so I think there was, like, some risk-taking happening. And, like, Solo, when the people that, like, giving it to kind of interesting artists and maybe there was too much freedom given or freedom given with not the the helpful kind of constraints that would point people toward... You know, if right. I'm making, like like you were saying earlier, with The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson, if I'm making a part two, what am I trying to make? Oh, I can do whatever. <laughs> okay, great. But yeah. that means 
nobody knows what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just another inherent problem with even the question of creative integrity when it comes to Star Wars. Right. Yes. And that's, that's like the most sort of fascinating side of this whole thing to me, which is the other side of the creative integrity coin, which looks like the Star Wars prequels, right? Like if you want a really good example of what it looks like when you unleash the creator of Star Wars with all all of the creative integrity you could possibly give him because he's basically financing them himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one is there to tell him no about anything. Like what you get is Star Wars prequels. And if if there's like, if those are your favorite Star Wars movies because they are George Lewis, Lucas going bonkers on his own universe, then God bless because, and, and, and you're disappointed in the, in the sequels because they are not, George Lucas going bonkers, then good on you. You are defending, I guess, as much creative integrity as any filmmaker has ever had. Um, But does it make them better movies in the end? I was reading an interview today with George Lucas where he was talking about how, um, like, it was an interview with him, I think, in 2005 or something. Um, But uh, right after I think Revenge of the Sith came out and, you know, somebody was grilling him, the interview was grilling him about like, people have said, you know, the dialogue is really bad in like this and Attack of the Clones and stuff. And what do you think about that? And he's like, yeah, I know my dialogue is bad. He's like, I know dialogue is not my strong suit. And on the original trilogy, I had, you know, a couple other screenwriters come through and do a dialogue pass and like a polish and they didn't change it that much, but they like, you know, made it a little like quippier and like a little bit like more elegant and and poetic. And he's like, but I just decided I'm going to write serviceable dialogue and uh, get on with the movies basically. (laughs) And like, that is creative integrity. He just decided not to bother having anybody rewrite his dialogue. And like what you get is unfiltered George Lucas as pure as it is, pure as the driven snow Uh, (laughs) or driven sand, I guess, in this case, like Lord help us. Um, I feel like integrity is being used loosely, like creative freedom for sure. Sure. Well, but integrity, I guess, is making a choice because you believe it's the right one. Um, well, and, in that and, case, it sounded like he didn't. Well, no, he what he decided was that what he was trying to make wouldn't be materially changed um, or not in a way that he felt was important for the work um, to have those dialogue polishers come on board. And so I, I think that, you know, you're, what you're talking about, Michael, really resonates with me about creative constraints. Like, um, it's good to have constraints when you are making something. Um in an ideal world, those constraints would be dictated not necessarily by what's financially viable or not. Um, although even working within things like that, I think you can, I think there is a way to say like, okay, you're going to have to have this in there, but what's a way that we could maybe organically do it? Like maybe there is a way to, or what's the inherent thematic question that that element if i have to have it in here to sell the toys or whatever um is there a thematic thing that i can like you know mine it for that might be interesting to the central character i think in an ideal world not that not to say that star wars creators don't do their best to integrate whatever is on their checklist for the record i'm not saying that i'm just saying that if if there were um clear boundaries that ideally weren't only dictated by money but if so then the creators had the time resources 
um, actual decision-making power to get those things done uh, as with the overall cohesive state of the work uh, in mind or as the top priority for them. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I think that that's, it's always been a part of the Star Wars conversation. And I don't, I don't know really know where it leaves us, except that the state I feel where we are is pretty woeful in terms of creative <laughs> integrity. Right. Well, and I think <laughs> as we've talked about, potentially not even with like malice or cynicism, like because right. of yeah. what Star Wars is, even if you yes. are the best intentioned, you could be creative person going for creative integrity. What do you reach to, to uh, achieve that? And I think this will tie into Alex, your question. So I want to get to that in just a moment, but just to, to come back to, or to, yeah, kind of, clarify and round up all the George Lucasy stuff. It is just fascinating as we've been talking about that there is someone who very clearly created the first entry into this thing and created the world and then had varying even uh, levels of creative control on the original trilogy, right? Like he's, he wrote the stories for all three, but he doesn't have a screenwriting credit for Empire Strikes right? Back. He didn't direct Empire Strikes Back. He didn't direct Return of the Jedi. So he wrote and directed only the original first Star Wars. And then, as we're saying, was able to go back and make the prequels to those stories with utter creative control. <laughs> Motivations being whatever they are, whether it's, yeah, wanting to tell the story or if you're a super cynical person that is like, oh yeah, the the toy, the license timeline for the toys was coming up. And so to read up the license, you needed to have a new piece of IP come out. And so suddenly we're getting Star Wars prequels. Like you can be super cynical about it. You can be wanted to complete the story that he started telling 20 years before. It's probably a lot of all of it because that's the way the world works is that it's complicated. But it is so fascinating that we have this piece that came from a person, but also a lot of other people touched and from that singular creator, we've been given so many disparate things as far as yeah. what Star Wars is. Right. And that's what makes this a very tricky IP to grapple with and come to terms with. Alex, what's your question that you're bringing to the table? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, I'm pr I kind of want to just bring like a sociological or like psychological lens to Star Wars fandom and mm. almost like even like putting the movies aside now and just thinking about what does it mean to be a fan of something like Star Wars? And and is there like a human need that something like Star Wars fills for us? You know, I include myself in this. I am I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm a Mass Effect fan. I mean, it's obviously a pattern here with sci fi <laughs> IPs, um, but but I get obsessed and really invested in completely fictional universes and um and when it, but but Star Wars in particular, because of its mythic origins, uh, strikes me as uh, it, it it because it's so built from its origin point, as you pointed out, Michael, on the hero's journey, uh, which is almost like you know it's it's the monomyth that is at the core of so many like religious stories and uh, just just stories that like help to organize societies, <laughs> like like we you know. I think it's interesting that, you know, living in, you know, in the 20th century, 21st century, living in a, a pluralistic, more secular world, um, I do think that like evolutionarily humans still gravitate towards 
these kind of religious mythic narratives as like a way to find meaning and a way to kind of, I don't know, just like, you know, compared to their own story and their own journey in life and, and just have kind of a model uh, that hero's journey model in their heads. And so I just think it's interesting how Star Wars fans are notorious for being mm -hmm. pretty intense fans who get really angry and, uh, you know, can be very toxic online. And I always wonder if, if part of what leads to so many intense emotions around Star Wars is its mythic origins and, mm -hmm. and how, you know, in if, if you do grow up, uh, as I did, you know, in a, in a very secular household where, uh, you know, movies were my uh, religion. You know, I, I talked about in our Dune podcast, seeing Dune and IMAX was a legit spiritual experience for me. And, and I think, you know, in, in, in a modern world, you know, things like movies or video games or music, like those are, those can sub for what the gigantic uh, medieval cathedral organ was, where it's this mm -hmm. awe-inspiring, like, you know, putting the fear of God in you kind of instrument. Uh, like, we still do that right now. We go to an IMAX theater and Hans Zimmer like blasts us away with, you know, in the case of Interstellar, a literal organ, you know? Um, and so I think, I think it's just, I basically that's an open question, I guess, is like, is Star Wars particularly um, intense uh, in its fandom because of this need for mythic religious like orientation in our evolutionary biology even. And Star Wars like, fills it in this very specific way in a way that even like i don't know if like lord of the rings fills it in the same way like there's something that's like so classically hero's journey about star wars so what do you guys think about all that yeah i mean religion is such an interesting comparison because when i think about religion i think i, I just kind of believe that no two people have the same religion um by which i mean like you can be of the same denomination and go to the same church and read the same text but like ultimately your religion is deeply personal to you and it's how you engage with that with that disbelief basically and you know christianity for instance is broken up into all these different denominations because of just disagreements about how to read the same text that everyone has access to right um and i think fandom is the same partially because as you're talking about alex like some people that is like for some people, religion is the thing that gives them their emotional and spiritual breath, you know, and for others, it's something else, right? It's your partner or it's your children or it is Star Wars or it is whatever, you know, and and that might sound really silly to like throw that in, but it's not silly to to people for whom that is the case, you know. Um, but then in terms of the disagreements, you know, the the different like Star Wars fandom is broken up into sex, right? Like mm -hmm. we have a group who says Star Wars should be this and then another group who says Star Wars should never be that. How dare you suggest, <laughs> you know? Um, but ultimately, each person is going to dislike their own parts of a of a thing. So it's an impossible to try to it's impossible to try to hone in on what that like religious truth is. You know, I love that the four of us who agree pretty we're pretty much in line with like what Star Wars we like and what Star Wars we don't like. I love that when we did our new films um, episode, you know, it was like Michael and I were big solo fans and Trisha and I were big Mandalorian fans. And like people were torn on certain things about like Last Jedi or whatever. And I was like, oh, even the four of us who like are pretty much on the same page, like we break off as soon as it comes to like, what do you think about this specific thing? Right. Um, but then at the same time, you can see where people have very strong reactions to it because if that is 
Um, you know, if, if Star Wars, for instance, is your the closest thing you have in your life to to that kind of spiritual connection, right? You're not religious. You're not. Um, you, you don't have anyone close to you who sort of gives you that thing. So, like, you do have this thing, and then you're watching the original trilogy and the force which is its own religion basically within the universe you know it's this mysterious thing that that binds us and surrounds us and then 17 years later it's actually it's these life forms in your bloodstream or whatever right and i'm not I'm like it's easy to throw shade at midichlorians right but i'm saying like that that can be deeply wounding for somebody who you know and again go back to my previous thing of like it's up to you to how to engage with with like a new fact in the lore of your of, of a franchise but imagine like you know they find a <laughs> another book of the bible that's been buried and it's like by the way jesus is a robot built by <laughs> a dragon you know like who calls himself god or whatever like that completely fundamentally changes your understanding of this right. of, of this basically you know either actual religion you have or in the case of star wars like the the thing that for you is what gives you that you know what makes you happy and it, it is kind of fun because I think we mentioned off uh, off mic, you know, we have OT stand for Old Testament or Original Trilogy. <laughs> right. and, then, and then you got, you know, the same, you know, the same kind of creator, uh, George Lucas making the New Testament, which is maybe very different. And you've got people who, you know, are New Testament like originals. Like that's what that's what they first saw. Right. They, they're, they're prequel kids. Uh, and the New and, Testament is definitely bouncier than the Old Testament. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> and and so yeah, it's, it's interesting. It does it does map that that analogy like really works in some ways with Star Wars in particular because you've got these different eras as Trisha mapped out and different like sects that break off in the different eras. I do think as soon as you started talking about this, Alex, the words that I wrote down were, were deeply wounding, which you just said, Brian. Also, of like like why are these things that happen in Star Wars? that that rip us apart why are they so deeply wounding and i do feel like this the lens of star wars as a religious text is goes a long way to explaining the reactions and the fervor behind these reactions of like weirdly it is religious where so many people can agree on this like original founding piece of text but then as new entries are released or uncovered people feel differently and so suddenly the the friends and family that were like part they were your brothers they were your sisters we both had star wars suddenly they believe something else about this and it's like well wait a minute now you're an other and i have to defend my beliefs and we've been torn apart despite starting from the same like core place uh so i feel like it's a really interesting lens for sure to think about it and then i'm i'm also interested if you know there are sociologists out there that want to do this uh, study. But something I was reminded of when looking at the original Star Wars was remembering the context uh, in which it came out, which was like post-Vietnam, super cynical mm. 70s, like people giving up on a lot of the beliefs and optimisms and ideals that were there in culture kind of up to that point. And in walks Star Wars, and it did kind of become the biggest cultural shared story that we had as a mm. as a world like as a global thing also that like crossed all these borders and so it, i think it stories all stories serve that function 
right? To bring people together and have a thing that we can all point to and be like, you like that? I like that too. I know a little bit more about who you are because we're connecting over something that has this state of values. But yeah, Star Wars was such that and it might oh yeah, also be the timing in which it came out, uh, both technologically and because of political reasons and all these things did make it weirdly well-suited to kind of take over or serve some of that role that like maybe traditional conventional religion was no longer as able to do in that kind of modern world. Yeah. Or, or even national identity in the sense of like right. the cynicism right. following Nixon and right. you know, the, all the wars. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have lots of thoughts on all of this. Uh, and I, I, most of them, I guess are related to also developmental stages and mm. when we form our identities in our lives and like when we start believing in what we will believe in for the rest of our lives and adhering to our various religions. Um, part of the nature, the very unique nature of the Star Wars franchise is its longevity. And actually its phases have really worked to like perpetuate this um generational sort of divide um if i can put it that way like we talked about the different sects of star wars fandom and they're they don't all the way fall along generational lines but they often do um and the the weird like there basically hasn't i mean i i don't know enough i guess about like star trek shows and and or movies um but they're there really hasn't been uh, a franchise as big as Star Wars that spans such a long generation, spans so many years, but with just enough irregularity <laughs> um, to sort of hit different generations right squarely in their adolescence. Right. And mm. so, like thinking about the James Bond franchise, which I'm a massive fan of, um, you know, it's it's even longer lasting than the Star Wars franchise, but it's so regular. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> it's it's not like totally consistent, right? You can look at different <laughs> different James Bond um you know stars and different sort of james bond eras if you want to mark them that way um and different like yeah filmmakers who have made james bond movies but the release dates like so like maybe brosnan is your bond or you know maybe roger moore is your bond or whatever but like the release dates have been so consistent that chances are there were more than one Bond movie or like probably even multiple Bonds like in the midst of your growing up years. Um, and there's, I mean, Bond is also different for a wide variety of reasons. <laughs> so, but I'm just saying, you know, those are very consistent release schedule on that. Mm -hmm. The thing about Star Wars is that it there are these groupings mm -hmm. of trilogies. There are these groupings of properties that have come out over the last 45 years and just the way that they have fallen and the different shifts that have happened as I was trying to identify when I made my chart have meant that different generations received Star Wars content in their adolescence that was wildly different um like so in preparation for this episode, I decided to interview a bunch of fans and I interviewed one person who was of born you? in the forties. <laughs> 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 Trisha fans. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
obviously. Uh, yeah. I interviewed um, one person who was born in the 40s, four people who were born in the 50s, one person who was born in the 60s. Um, I skipped the uh, one person who was born in the 70s. I skipped the 80s and 90s because that's us. Um, and then several people who were born in the odds. And so it's not a comprehensive study. It's about a dozen people. <laughs> it is certainly not comprehensive. Um, but their relationship to this franchise what they consider to be their sacred texts very wildly um, based on what year they were born, to be perfectly honest. And that's developmental, right? Like that's mm. like we use stories to form our identity often in adolescence, because in adolescence, that's when we're coming to understand our like tiny place in the universe. Um, you know, in childhood, we don't really have the uh, capacity to sort of like understand, you know, death and eternity and all of these things. Um, and then in adolescence, that's when we start to sort of think about like, okay, well, who does that make us? Who am I now? And that's why you're like, you become, you know, the massive fan of things that you'll be a massive fan your whole life long, be that movies, music, um, <laughs> spiritual leaders, um, you know, ideologies, mm -hmm. you become those usually typically in adolescence and into your twenties. And so like, I think that's a huge part of the reason that we see this identity forming. Star Wars was the biggest cultural story that many different generations had smack dab in the middle of their adolescence. And they were always huge is the thing. They were huge in the 70s. They were huge in the 90s. They were huge again, um, you know, in, sorry, the late 90s, early aughts. And then they were huge again now in the era that we're in. And like, they're so big that it's kind of impossible to ignore them. And if you do like them at all, chances are they end up folding into your identity in the way that you see the world. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Um, the, the, the James Bond comparison. Cause like, if you don't like a James Bond movie, you just wait two years. <laughs> Move and on. Yeah. Another, right. <laughs> um, and I think what's, uh, you know, what's fascinating about star Wars, for some reason I tend to like, uh, all my favorite, like, uh, bands and video game companies take seven years to make their next album or video game. So I'm right. like constantly in a state of just like waiting for the next thing and hoping that it's good when it comes out because otherwise I'm going to have to wait forever. And I think that's the fascinating thing about Star Wars, right, is that you wait – uh, you know, well over a decade for uh, almost two decades for the prequels to like, oh, here it is. Here's our here is now the next in the thing that there's only three movies of. Right. And then you get Phantom Menace. And for for many people, that was a letdown. Right. And then you get three years between movies and then you have another 10 years of nothing. And then like now here is the new thing. So I think that's also part of why the fan base is so um, can be so, so testy, I think is because up until recently it was like, that was all you got. Right. So it was just, you had mm -hmm. to wait forever for more star Wars. And then when you got it, if you didn't like it, you were going to be very upset that you didn't like it. And, and I think that also supports my theory of like, go make a bunch <laughs> like go make a bunch of stuff. Cause then if it's not good, then like the MCU, right. If you don't like a Marvel movie, wait three months and you'll get the next one. Mm. It's interesting though, at the same time that like there, I think was a, because of the spacing out period, there was a kind of a period where culture could mourn or celebrate or whatever it was <laughs> and arrive at some kind of shared like reality and consensus. Sure. Mm. Yes. 
and then you get the new entry and it would like break it apart. But then like time would happen and we'd arrive at a cultural, you know, we have prequel memes on Reddit and we know like Star Wars is we all like it, but we deal with the prequels by kind of making fun of it. But like it's it's part of the culture also. And I think it's interesting that, I mean, there's also just internet culture evolving along all of this. And that's yeah, that, a whole that other, has to be named. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but that this new era is like different in that it's not one movie every three years. Yeah. It was one movie basically every year for several years. Yep. And then like now we have the TV shows. And so there's, you know, it's just like constantly ripping the bandaid off of everything while also constantly injecting new things into it. As they didn't Trisha. even all fit. There's like other TV shows that I couldn't even cram onto my timeline. Yeah. Like I was trying. The exhaustive period is where we are. Right. Also, here. can you, you make a here. chart? Can you make a chart of the people you interviewed and what they're like, how they feel about Star Wars in, in the vein of your timeline? Yes, I will. Yes. Thank Excellent. you. Yeah. More charts. More charts. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, it's it's interesting because you mentioned that that time between periods, Michael, and those, that is almost like a more like harmonious period because, like you said, there's there's either like a, an acceptance we come to, there's maybe like okay, it you know the official entries are done now, that you know that book is closed now it's you know video games or you know Knights Little Republic or this novel that takes place in the Star Wars universe that's kind of those aren't as uh, those pieces of IP are just kind of like fun, like extra fun. And we can all like play in this world as a, a collective community and our collective imagination. And, it, but then when you, once you say like, no, now here's the force awakens here is definitely what happened to Han Solo and right. Leia. Right. Now it's like, Oh, like you, like I've been dictated by the, you know, this is the new Bible says this. Now uh, all the acceptance and the play and the lightness is now replaced by this definitive answer, um, and and I think I I do miss the the between periods, and and I think yeah. part of part of why this feels like the exhaustive period is because there's no end in sight. You know, right. there's not we're not going to get to have an in between period. It's just going to go on and on and on and on until they can't make money anymore, um, yeah. and that is a little depressing because I think some of my favorite Star Wars things happen in those in between times. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, and so I feel like this this is a good transition to Brian, your question to bring that into the discussion of all the stuff like we're saying these different periods and like where we are now and this this inability to just yeah, cool and let to our, just stop. To, yeah. <laughs> or just like or take even a pause. A breath pause. even. Right. Yeah. Cuz like Star Wars has never stopped. Like to be clear, like there's always yeah. been Star Wars things to buy, to play, to go yeah. visit, to go ride at the theme park. Like there's always been Star Wars, but yeah, these big entries, these things that are, and I think that that's also a kind of another meta thing that could be, you know, interrogated at some point is that the nature of the prequels is that they were prequels, right? They, they mm. didn't interfere with whatever our imagination had yeah. as far as like, and then they lived happily ever after whatever that was the prequels are you know stirring up like well that doesn't quite make sense that that's what happened to lead to this point but like i feel like in general we have less um you know precise notions maybe of what happened before a thing than we do of like imagining the rest of it and so maybe that's also that these new films are like you're saying alex like 
writing in stone, carving in stone. No, this yeah. is what happened is kind of overriding stuff that maybe people uh, right. in their imaginations had written down in a way that they might not have for prequel stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But anyway, but yeah, so Brian, what's your question? Yeah, I mean, continuing off of Alex's thought about who the fandom is, you know, who the audience is and everything, but then looking at it from the standpoint of people making Star Wars content, um, my question is is about who the audience actually is. And then how mm. do you, how the, the audience is huge. And then how do you manage that basically? So, you know, people love to, uh, people love to point out Star Wars was intended for kids originally, right? Like I found this quote by the second AD who said, we're making a kid's movie. So like, therefore, you know, I'm like, first of all, if you're making a movie for kids, like bad job, like you made a movie about 30 year olds discussing like military tactics through sensual sexual tension while like burnt corpses and like torturing is happening. <laughs> right. Like, um, but more importantly, regardless of what your plan you know who your intended audience was then you got more people than that involved right so back in the 70s you got people of all ages who became fans of this franchise and the kids from 1977 are in their 50s and 60s now so like they they have grown up um and then the next and this goes a lot with what you were saying trisha about you know what dealt what developmental stage were you at when uh, when you sort of first engaged with Star Wars? Um, because then George comes back with Phantom Menace and he's like, I'm doubling down on the kid thing, right? I'm going to make a movie um, with, uh, you know, pod racing and like fairy fun and all this kind of stuff. And then so old fans were like, ah, that's not really for me, but kids kind of ate it up because they love trade routes and, and Senate politics, um, <laughs> <laughs> which again, it's like, why are these two things in the same, like, are you, you know, so that's, we'll get into that after I ask my question. But um, so then you, you sort of did manage to get this audience who, were nine when Phantom Menace came out. So then six years later, when um, when Revenge of the Sith is coming out, they're 15. They're like angsty teenagers and they're watching this dark, you know, goth guy like whine about stuff and, and kill children, which I guess is cool. Um, and then on top of that, now the older fans, they have kids. So they are showing their kids the original movies and their kids are gravitating to, to like Chewy or, or some like the furry things, Ewoks, right. Or Porgs. If you're showing them the, um, I have, I have friends who have kids who are just like, I love Porgs. Like that is my main thing. Or I love Chewbacca. Like that, that is the main thing I care about. Right. Um, so you have this wide swath of fans who came to star Wars at different times and who expect different things. Like there are fans of the prequels who think of the original trilogy as like these old, dusty movies mm. that it's like cool to watch just to kind of get the full story but it's not my star wars bruh um i'm pretty sure that's how kids talk and then and then as you were pointing out alex you have uh you, then forget about the movies you have some people who their star wars is clone wars or knights of the old republic or the timothy zahn books or like or the new disney stuff right like their star wars might be um, one of the like Star Wars Rebels or something like one of the newer kind of shows. Um, so you basically have this like messy audience um, 
are, are like messy in the sense of like an audience that you can't sort of pin down and say, this is who I, you know, who our audience is. Um, and I use Solo as an example of a movie where it's like, it's about an original trilogy character, but they do it. Um, a cameo from Darth Maul, who's a prequel trilogy character, but he's voiced by Sam Witwer, who voiced him in the Clone Wars instead of getting like Peter Serafinowicz, but he's played by Ray Park. So it's like, who is your audience for this thing, right? It's like, it, it has to be someone who loves everything Star Wars because anybody who's looking for one specific thing is getting too much, right? They're, they're getting like, well, I don't, I, I like this thing, but I don't necessarily care about this thing. And they might not hate it, but they just don't care about it necessarily. Um, so getting down to what the actual question is, is basically how, if you are making Star Wars now, how do you say, I'm making a new Star Wars movie. Who are you making it for? And how do you handle this massive audience uh, that that just ranges so completely over the entire age spectrum and tone spectrum of everything that has ever been Star Wars? I'm going to take a bit of umbrage with you. Uh, in general. Asserting, yeah, in general. <laughs> but I'm used to it. With you asserting that, that the films were not in, made for children. Um, I, I agree, you know, as I mentioned earlier, in the sense that they were made to have wide appeal. Um, and so they were not. But intended, those are two different things, to be clear. Right. They are. Yeah. They, they were not intended only for children. Exactly. But they were, you know, George Lucas was very specific from the very beginning that he wanted them rated PG. He did not want them to be like overly violent or sexual or anything like that. Like he wanted them to be, uh, you know, the whole family can go. So they were, you know, not children's movies per se, but they were always designed to be family movies. Um, and so I think, and like, he admitted himself um, when he was talking about the prequels. He's like, yeah, maybe they're maybe they won't like Attack of the Clones because so much of it is a love story. Maybe kids really won't like that. Um, uh, I and like Revenge of the Sith is going to be dark and like maybe it'll be a little scary for kids. But th you know, those are concerns that somebody has when they know that they that children are going to be attending their movie. Um, and just to name this as well, especially about the original trilogy, the idea of what children were and what children might be interested in was very different of course. back in the seventies yeah. and early eighties. Sure. Uh, there, as a reminder, there was no PG 13 rating back then because we just thought we would just take kids to a lot of stuff <laughs> um, <laughs> that we would not now take children to. And that just has to do with like cult our cultural expectations of how much we want to traumatize our kids or not. Um, <laughs> And so I, I think that to say that these movies were not intended for children is a little bit of an oversimplification. They were not intended for adults either. They were intended for everybody, which means that there was always they were always going to be children in the audience. And that problem, while um, different when the slate is blank, is not necessarily a different problem than the current Star Wars thing is facing. It's a it is a it is a much, much, much more complicated problem, as you're pointing out, because the slate was blank. And so you can take the whole family to A New Hope or even Empire Strikes Back, and your adult fans are not going to have wildly different expectations than your young fans. Mm. Um, but roughly the same span of people are attending, um, you know, both of those movies, if that makes sense. Although I will say the person, the people that I talked to um, in that were born in the, like, 
40s through 60s, basically, those folks that I talked to all said they really, really did not like and or didn't even bother seeing the prequels, but did come back for the sequels because of the like character continuity. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, Han and Leia and everything mm-hmm. are in it. And so it's interesting that they just kind of took that time off mm-hmm. and they kind of were like, well, Star Wars is not for me. And I'm not saying that's true of their entire generation. I'm just saying that was true of the, the folks that I talked to. So I, I do think it's kids are a factor that need to be factored in and always have been. 100%. Yes. And and thank you for clarifying that. I was not saying these movies are not for kids. I was saying that that the people who tend to point this out are arguing like, if you're an adult, you shouldn't care about Star Wars because right. it is for kids, right? So it's the difference between like the Trolls TV show, which is made for like <laughs> eight-year-olds. I got to watch some of it over Christmas. Um, uh, versus... <laughs> versus... It's cute. Um, versus a Pixar movie, right? right. Which is yeah. like, that is, yes, of course kids are going to be there, but we are making something for everybody. And that's mm-hmm. all I was saying was that like, w- was Star Wars then and now is for everybody, but everybody is e- even more everybody than it's ever been. <laughs> it's extra everybody. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and like, yeah, it's everybody, like you said, Trisha, with, without a blank slate. It's with right. like very specific... Uh, almost like oddly specific expectations that are different from each other. And that's, and that's, that's different than making a brand new movie for the whole family. You know, that's, that's a harder challenge. Right. Yeah. We say, you know, four quadrants to represent, you know, to me representing everybody. This is like four quadrants and like three dimensions. It's like four by four. (laughs) Right. It's like 16 quadrants actually (laughs) that you're trying to do. And four is already too many. (laughs) Right. Like that's already like, the, I feel like the best scenario you could have as a creator in terms of making an impact and, and knowing your audience is like, if you know the specific human that you're going to make a movie for, you can make the hell out of that movie because you know exactly what that one person like wants. Right. And you can just like tailor make it for it. I've made a lot of movies for my friends. They're the best things that I'll ever make because I know exactly what that thing needed to be for those people. When you're trying to make it for every human alive that has different connections to this thing and are coming at it from all these different places, it is this essentially impossible task. And I feel like that's where the empathy that I do feel for the people trying to make Star Wars right now is coming from, is that I I do believe that they have the best intentions and want to do right by it, but how do you do that? Mm -hmm. and yeah it's a difficult question to answer well and it's interesting that in when we look at the prequel trilogy that george lucas opted to make that instead of the sequels right like Mm -hmm. he had his original set of fans who came to his original trilogy you know perhaps in their young adulthood or adolescence and could have continued making those, um, but for various reasons, decided not to. And as I mentioned, the folks that I talked to, um, you know, it was interesting earlier, Michael, I think you said something about, or, or maybe it was Alex that said something about like, there's so much about like the the prequel trilogy that feels modern in its complexity, right? Like um, not just in the way that it looks, although the way that it looks was incredibly modern at the time. Um as opposed to how 
you know, the original trilogy looked, but, but in the actual like story design and format and like uh, structure of those films, the, the prequels. Um, and that in itself was potentially an alienating choice. Like, and in fact, the folks that I talked to that were massive star Wars fans of the original trilogy, like were just like, nah, I saw Phantom Menace and it wasn't for me. Like, and it just kind of effectively ended their fandom in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then, as I mentioned, some of the, some of the people I talked to came back around a little bit, um, which is interesting now at the stage in life that those folks are in now, right? Like boomers now are suddenly like, Oh wait, I kind of like the force awakens. Like it's pretty, you know, here's all my mm-hmm. people back again. And like, <laughs> it's got some of the stuff it's, it's very fascinating, but uh, yeah, I just, it's a weird phase that it went through in the middle where Lucas basically started over. Um, and it seems like, did he make those movies with fans in mind? What fans did he have in mind? Right. Well, and and I think another aspect that's interesting about your question, Brian, is that, you know, some of the ways that it feels like they are trying to do it. And this is kind of what you're bringing up in some ways, Trish, is like the style, like the aesthetics of Star Wars are have kind of always been part of the conversation too, right? The original Star Wars films were groundbreaking visual effects that no one had ever seen before. No one had ever done before. Um, and even at the time was a reaction to the popular style of the seventies. And so it was like a unique take on a thing. The prequels were, as we're saying, modern using digital, like film, you know, everything, right. Digital, everything, but like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) episodes two and three were shot digitally. There were some of the first films ever shot digitally. So much CGI, like, which I think is a thing that lots of people then learn to point to and say, like, I don't like it when it looks like that because it looks fake and it takes me out. But they were also groundbreaking films from a technical standpoint. And all of the good CGI we have today owes a lot to the Star Wars prequels. And so it is interesting now watching uh, this new the franchise and films and TV shows try to figure out, well, what what is our visual Star Wars language mm. even? And so, you know, Force Awakens is a little Star Wars-y, but it's also really J.J. Abrams-y. Like, we got yeah. whip pans and lots of dolly moves and all the stuff that would never be found in the original Star Wars. And then we have Rogue One, which is like, put this frame against any frame in the original like yep. film, and it's going to look like as close as we can make it today. Like it's mm-hmm. super visually faithful to the originals. And I think that's why a lot of people, that's one of the reasons why people love that. And so I think it's interesting to see now that they're going into the TV shows with the Mandalorian and Boba Fett, that they are kind of airing toward, can we capture a little bit of that like original trilogy aesthetic and seem to be eschewing some of the new aesthetic that was introduced in the prequels and I think that's a kind of an interesting, it seems like a, a decision that seems to have been made as like the right way forward is like, can mm. we capture some of the aesthetic feel of the original trilogy? Right. And hopefully that's something that everyone can get on board with. While hmm. also adding colorful speed bikes. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then and cyber aware. Yeah. <laughs> and then it just gets to like a question of how long is that sustainable for? You know, if, yeah. you know, if, if, George Lucas, you know, love love him or hate him, you know, with the prequels was like innovating with new technology and was responding to 
what was available to him at the time and, and wanting to try something new. And that's what he did with the first trilogy as well at that time. Um, what does it mean to indefinitely try to replicate uh, a, a thing from the past that was in its moment fresh and responding to the to the present? You know, it, it doesn't feel sustainable to me th that there can be life in your franchise if it's just like an echo of the past. You know, like what what's happening now? What are we responding to now? And like, do, can fandom can franchises can we can we find it in our hearts to like let it respond to the present moment and not just like harken back to the past well is that a decision we get to make like you know if they if on they this show podcast us, is well, yeah <laughs> very good point brian i'm just saying like if they show us something new and mm. we yell that we don't like it and then they give us the old thing again it's like what is that right we're like we are sending a financial message and like right. an actual verbal message on twitter uh to the studios <laughs> like about what we want and what we don't want and so like right. like a petulant child who just wants macaroni and cheese for the 800th day in a row <laughs> like, or named michael tucker um then like that's what we're gonna get we're gonna get reheated macaroni and cheese for the 800th day in a row Yep. Which is yeah. And I, I think part that's what part of makes answering the question, what is Star Wars impossible is just because of, of everything we're talking about. You know, um, on our No Time to Die uh, podcast, we talked about like what makes a Bond movie a Bond movie because like, okay, they're running, uh, there's motorcycles over roofs. So is it just a Bourne movie now? And they're doing this thing. So is it just, a, you know, this other, uh, I forget what other example I use, but just sort of like feeling like, oh, all movies are doing kind of the same stuff now. So when is this going to become like a Bond movie? But then you get this like specific type of villain and you get this gadgets, right? And you get like these sort of things, like a, a layer. And it's like, oh, okay. Like I see how you have done a Bond thing now. And with Star Wars, it's the same thing, which is like, what, what are, again, now we're talking about checking boxes, right? So it's like, what boxes have to be checked for you to, for it to be a star wars movie like rogue one basically doesn't have any jedi in it um i mean i guess arguably it has no jedi in it at the <laughs> at the time but you know what i mean yeah. um and uh, but it still deals with the idea of the force right so it's like we are still talking about a rebellion and an empire and the idea of the force and like all these things so you're like okay you did you did put like a lot of star wars in your thing and aesthetically as you were saying it's like pure original trilogy star wars but then one reason i don't love rogue one is because i don't find it to be terribly fun like i don't actually enjoy watching it as much as i enjoy watching like a, an average star wars movie on just like a visceral am i having a good time so it's like i like darker adult content but i don't think that should be in star wars i don't want to watch someone like stab someone in the throat and you know <laughs> go like to a nudie bar or something like that right like i want to like that's not I, what i want from star wars um but then like on the other on the other hand i love solo because it's so fun i find it just like really fun to watch but it in no way is trying to be like it's the most self-referential like look at all the prequel jokes we can do we're literally putting the theme like the April March in the movie, like in the world of the movie, like that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this other end of the spectrum of like, we got this thing right for right. As in for me personally, but like, then we didn't even try to do this other thing. Um, 
so so yeah i think for me like part of the answer to this question is just like making targeted audience different content for targeted audiences which brings us back to like let's make more content um like don't have mass murder and cuddly porgs in the same movie like have those you can have those things in separate movies but when you put them in the same movie it's like well who is that for now because it you spread it very thin as you were saying alex and i think the more you try to make sure everyone likes something, then the more it's inevitable that people are going to dislike something too. So it's like saying, hey, I made you a sandwich. I wasn't sure what you liked. So I put ham and peanut butter and mayo and tuna and marmalade and Swiss cheese in there. So hopefully you like some of that. And you're like, okay, but I also dislike some of that. <laughs> and I don't want all of it together in the same thing. That's insane. And I feel like that's where we are is like every Star Wars thing is trying to be everything to everyone. And so I, I want there to be more just targeted content and there is some obviously there are the animated shows and and things like mandalorian are are targeting specific audiences but i just kind of want there to be more of that that like you said michael is not trying to please 16 quadrants at once it's trying to say this is your star wars over here and then over here this other stuff you you can choose whether or not you want to engage with yeah that's a that's really great visceral metaphor of the sandwich thing <laughs> yeah yeah delicious yeah. well and it is interesting that you know some of people have spoken up and i think disney has paused or changed some plans that were the case you know we haven't had a star wars movie in a little while mm -hmm. uh the solo trilogy that was planned is no more the ryan johnson trilogy that was planned maybe is no more so it does seem like there is some recalibrating happening and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. As you were just saying, Brian, it's this is a, a kind of an impossible question because you're trying to please everybody. We can't do that, but we can say what we personally would like to see from Star Wars moving forward. So to kind of drill down and kind of bring it home. Uh, yeah, I want to go around and just kind of hear from each of us what is the thing that we think would yeah i don't know that we want that we think would fix the the biggest bump that we have currently with star wars if it's going to keep going which it is what do we want from it yeah to be clear we're not trying to change the landscape or put anything back in a box like it right. is going to happen disney is going to keep making star wars movies forever movies and th shows and properties and things uh, until it's not lucrative anymore which is the foreseeable future so that being the case right that is that is the system that we that we are all in and we're all players in that system but yeah so what do we what do we want to see moving forward from from all of this brian i'm a little curious to i mean because you were sort of it seemed like you were getting at a little bit of that with what you were just mm -hmm. saying as far as the 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 full yeah taking each property and making it very specific for an audience uh, seems like just a really smart way, like an objectively smart way to, to do things. I'm curious, is that kind of what your general thing moving forward is? Or is there another aspect of Star Wars that you would like to see from them moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I have, I have, that is my general thought. And then I have a sort of more specific thought too. Um, but yes, my general thought is just like, I, I, I'm going to use Star Wars Visions as an example again, because I think it's really fascinating what my personal experience with that show was. And again, if for people who don't know, nine episodes animated by different Japanese animators where they kind of had carte blanche to make whatever they wanted. The first episode of that, it's called The Duel. 
is like one of my favorite Star Wars things that have come out of the of the last seven years. Um, and it, it's sort of it's like this black and white, but like the Star Wars colors are you know, it's like red lights over here and blue and green lights over here. And they're like placed near where the good guys and the bad guys are. And it's this very Kurosawa samurai kind of story. Um, and I loved it. And then the other eight I was f whatever, like some I thought were pretty cool. Some were very, very for kids cut to kind of content. Right. But like, I loved that all of it existed. Right. I didn't watch the, like the second episode, especially there's like a rock band. Um, it's very <laughs> much like for kids and like goofy um, kind of thing. But I didn't watch it with my hands on, you know, folded going, this isn't Star Wars. How dare you? I just went, okay, this is something else that's not for me, but this is for somebody. Right. And that might, that's going to be somebody's favorite episode of, of that. But like, I got my thing. Right. And I think that that's what, that's what makes me feel deflated is like when everything is, when they're trying to make every big movie or show be for everyone, then it kind of ends up being for no one. Like it's, it, you know, nobody, absolutely loves it a lot of people even people who like you know that some of the new stuff are like it was it was pretty good like you know like that's kind of like the best you can get sometimes and and again these are well-made things a lot of them but um but it ends up just feeling like against it's it's the the sandwich right um so i just i would like for there to be more content that is targeted towards different audiences and with the hopes that if there's ever going to be another Star Wars that I fanboy out over, it's going to be because it was made for me um, and, uh, and and not something that was being made for everybody, unless they do an amazing job and like it's possible, right? Um, but I, I fully embrace the fact that in order to get something made for me, there also has to be stuff made for everyone else. I just want them to be separate things and not kind of <laughs> the same thing. Um, so that's that's my general thought is, you know, basically it's what I've said um, since the beginning of this episode is I just want there to be more stuff and, and for more people to have. Again, as Trisha was saying, the creative integrity, right? Like go make your, you know, your actual vision and and then we'll get it'll become more exciting. Right. In the same way, like the things about Last Jedi that were exciting were uh, were really exciting to us because like, oh, you did something different. But then also in the same movie canto bite or in this same movie you know whatever uh did you have something michael just that yeah I, th I think it's interesting the new forms that are opening up with streaming and disney plus where they can make these limited series that are maybe lower stakes so they are there's a less of a financial pressure to try to hit right. all the quadrants maybe that is something that we can see moving forward it's like that's something that i think marvel does really well right or hawkeye it's going to be the Christmas story like mm -hmm. series and like WandaVision is going to have it's kind of, you know, they can broadcast a little bit who each thing is for. And it's OK, because we know that there are more coming and maybe the next one will be for us. Just an interesting right. aspect of that. Yeah. Mm. And then the more specific thing, this is just something I didn't really get to mention, but I've been thinking about it since Boba Fett. Um, which, by the way, Boba Fett on Patreon, we are doing a watch <laughs> episode by episode, or we have finished, I guess, at this point. Um, but go there, listen to it. Um, is the sort of we've talked about this when we talked about the prequels is like when Star Wars reminds you of your the real world, right? And and the most egregious is the diner scene and Attack of the Clones, where it's like 
oh, it's literally a 50s diner. Like, yeah, you want a cup of Joe, sweetheart? Whatever, right? But then we do get Canto Bite in Last Jedi. And in the new shows, we're getting these characters who are aliens, but they're played by like a guy with a New Jersey accent or something, right? Or like, so, you know, if it's, if it's Bill Burr as a human, it's like, I don't want Bill Burr in my Star Wars, but at least it's like, well, he's a human, right? <laughs> uh, so like there is supposed to be an, an earthy, familiar quality about it. Maybe it's like, ha, I was a stormtrooper. What, what are you doing? Um, but but then when it's like someone in, you know, Twilight makeup or whatever, nothing against, um, his name, David Paskisi from Veep, who, who plays the, the Twilight guy who's in, you know, Boba Fett, like nothing against him. It's about the idea to cast that type of actor as an alien. So now instead of thinking I am in this fantasy world a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, I'm like, this guy's from Chicago. Like he's this guy, this is a guy from Chicago wearing a bunch of makeup, you know? And I think that it's really fascinating where we, where, where that hits. Um, you know, if you're reading fantasy, people will drink wine or ale or mead and it never kind of bumps for you. But then if someone would drink, IPA, you're like, that's India pale ale. Like that's from India on earth, you know, or like champagne or Bordeaux or something like that. these are from specific regions in France, like on earth in present day, that doesn't make sense. So but that's, that's why you'll never see that. You'll never see someone unless it's like really poorly written. You'll never see someone in fantasy drinking something that like is specific to your time period, right? And I feel like that's what happens when you hear a certain accent or even a certain like way a person carries themselves or something like that, that it's very hard to 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 pin. But when we hear the standard American accent or the standard British accent, we just think, oh yeah, that's familiar. That's in everything. But like in Force Awakens, there's a guy, there's a Scottish guy. And I'm like, oh, this guy must be from Scotland on earth, <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, but I don't know why that's the difference for me. You sure. know, I don't know why suddenly when I hear a certain word I mentioned before, like boyfriend in force awakens, I'm like, Oh, or like a thumbs up or something. I'm like, Oh, that's a, that's an earth thing. That's not a star Wars thing. That's an earth thing. But of course, if you're going to make more and more star Wars content, then it is going to get more and more broad, you know, but I, I do appreciate when fantasy can like make me forget about the real world. And I think, that with the new show, Star Wars is getting sort of lazier, lazier or just less strict about about trying to make me actually believe that I'm watching a a fantasy that is set in this other world. I'm watching something that feels um, a little too close to home. Yeah. 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 And it, it is just another one of those ways in which I feel like your hands are kind of tied and it's an impossible task as a creator because, you know, the original films could borrow things that maybe are kind of of the 70s and felt more terrestrial, but that was in the service of building this fantasy world. And a lot of the, there isn't that much of it, but some of the style and all that stuff. But now if you're making a Star Wars movie, well, is it like, well, is it okay to borrow more stuff from the 70s and 80s? Like maybe George might've put biker gangs into that if he right. had had time, but now it's this other thing. And so what is it? And, like Honestly, to, if anybody would have put biker gangs into it, it would have been George Lucas. Yep. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. There's there's not really an objective place you can go to to decide the line is what. <laughs> right, right. Right. Um, cool. Yeah. All right, cool. Alex, what about you? What do you want moving forward? Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, what I want is is the magical in between space, uh, which we mentioned before, where it kind of the the franchise returns to like the collective and it, it exists more in a collective imagination than in in other things besides movies and TV shows. That is not the reality we're living in and will not be living in for maybe a long time. So in in this reality, um, what I would love to see would be, uh, and I mentioned this kind of earlier, like I I think Brian's approach sounds nice with, you know, targeted uh, movies, TV shows that feel like they have an audience in mind. You know, th- if they can identify, if they can use Trisha's chart, you know, and identify <laughs> the different I'll quadrants. I'll send it to them. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> And be like, you know what? We are going to make a show just for the Gungan period. And like this show is all about classical period, you know, whatever. I think that that would be interesting to see, you know, like this is going to lean really into these different fan needs. And and but then let creators make like a good original show that like meets those fan needs um, without being pulled 10 different directions. So I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. I would like personally it if it's going to go in the diverse direction, not to be expected to watch all of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think like this, you know, this, especially if, if we're going to have everything from like animated kids shows to like super dark, uh, you know, rogue one ish stuff. Um, it's not fun for the dark rogue one thing to have a cameo from the kids show. Like, like let the universe be big and be and be disparate and and have space in between things and huge gaps of time and different time periods and just let it be big and don't try to spin some like like galaxy brain web between every single piece of ip like i think just let it be a bunch of things kind of once again the way that it felt in those in between periods when it was more just extended universe free for all fanfic like i think that's probably the best option at this point because as we've identified if you try to make the one narrative for all the people it's going to be a mess yeah um so yeah and and it i do think if you're going to make some tentpole movies you know i think there's you know like you said trisha the the financial constraints for like the biggest of the big blockbusters is going to still have to like that to be broad they can't be as targeted as maybe a tv show can be but if you're going to do those then i think you know what is the myth we need today you know return to the mythic like we you know like what like don't i think i we're i think we're getting tired of the meta we're getting tired of the reflexive like we understand what ip and franchises are you don't need to tell me about how you're an ip in your ip movie like <laughs> what is the new myth for like our generation right now that can be told through this universe that feels relevant and meaningful and like inspiring for this moment. Um, That would be great. (laughs) So, so yeah, I would love, I would love to see a star Wars film that felt mythic and had found a new myth uh, that builds, you know, builds it's, it's built in this universe but it's not trying to just like rehash uh, the myth from before. That definite irony of the original Star Wars being, you know, a reaction to the status quo at the time. And now right. Star Wars is the ubiquitous thing that you're yeah. right. asking for yeah. a, yes. a reaction to. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Sounds good. Trisha. 
Yeah, uh, really want to echo what you just said there, Alex, which is that is exactly how I feel. Um, I would like for Disney to start playing the long game. Um, please, Disney, for the love of God, start thinking about 30 years from now. Like, mm. do you want to make a couple million dollars right now? Or down the line, would you like nine more movies, all of which can crest $2 billion a piece? Wouldn't that actually be better? Um, and the only way to do that is to stop giving us macaroni and cheese. Like, truthfully, you know, that the metaphor that I mentioned earlier about that um, is a, like, parent-child problem, or in this case, a studio audience cycle problem, right? Like, we keep wanting macaroni and cheese, so you keep giving it to us, but that means we never learn to like anything else. We're never going to start eating regular good meals um, if you don't like ever give us anything else. The same batch of macaroni and cheese, too. Like, it's getting stale. Yes. <laughs> yes. Or in this case, Brian's sandwich, right? Like, <laughs> So it's, it's just like, you have to, you're going to have to push us. Um, and I think the way to do that is to learn some lessons from the original uh, film, which is what you're talking about, Alex, which is like the audience at the time was hungry for something that was earnest, was hungry for something that was being played straight all the way down the line. And you can malign the sequels all you want to, but they were being played as straight down the line, earnest as they possibly could be, right? Like um, there's perhaps no way to deliver some of that dialogue in an earnest fashion, but they tried. Like that was kind of the whole thing. Remember the prequels? Oh, yeah. Sorry. The prequels. Cool. Yeah. The prequels um, are, were delivered earnestly. Yes, they were. Yeah, yeah. And and so I think that that is, would be a good lesson. I think on the most recent episode uh, that we recorded of Book of Boba Fett, I was talking about like, I I would like whatever you make next to be stripped all the way back. Like, I don't care what you make next, but it has to be good in and of itself. And I think if you could make something good in and of itself that also had legs. Like if you want to do a Lord of the Rings, like create a whole other story, whole cloth, plan it, plan nine movies in the future, 20 years long or whatever, um, but set out to make something like that. It's risky, of course, but you only have to make it a piece at a time, but you have to plan it in advance. <laughs> but the planning part is relatively cheap, honestly. <laughs> yeah, like right. that's the thing is that really all it costs Disney is time. You're just going to have to slow it down for a second. And instead of feeding the mill, take a few minutes and just plan it way down the line. And you'll make a lot more money in the long run. I swear to God, you will. Right. But you're going to have to actually take the time, give the creators the time to develop it, give them the space to develop it, and then give us some movies that are totally new and preferably earnest and mythological and like archetypal. Um, but give us nine new movies and I, I swear, I promise, I promise you'll make money. You'll make a lot more money than you're <laughs> making by reheating macaroni and cheese. <laughs> well said. Um, and I, I will amend my let everyone make everything Star Wars by saying I would happily trade that in for a focused sequence of, of content, whatever, you know, movie shows, whatever it is that feels, yes, that feels completely baked, um, but I just sort of felt like that's what the the sequel trilogy was and it kind of fell apart. So I'm like, well, 
if that's what putting all your eggs in one basket is, then just blow up the basket, right? Um, like just let everyone make everything. But yes, if they could kind of go away, go on a retreat, uh, you know, um, and and then come back and just be like, no, we are making Star Wars just this one specific thing, nine movies or, you know, whatever it is. But we are actually having a plan and we are going to deliver like kind of, you know, the best of the best. That's great. It's still going to not be everyone's favorite, right? Because of all the problems we've talked about. Because maybe, but maybe not. You, you could aim but, it at the original four quadrants. You right, don't have to exactly. Aim it at all like, sixteen quadrants. Right, you could make the the best, like you yeah. could make the best thing possible. Right. <laughs> you know, yes, the best thing exactly. possible is still going to have people who don't like it, but you could do that. Yeah, uh, and and yes, as you're saying, it doesn't seem like that's what's trying to be done right now. And I I do think I think if you just make a really good movie, like you said, Trisha, like even if oh shoot, like there's not enough lightsabers for me personally. But like maybe that's okay because these new characters are so great and the new conflicts and the new era yeah. of the world is so interesting and I'm so swept away by this like story that maybe my lightsaber quota doesn't matter anymore suddenly because it's, I'm not here for the lightsabers. I'm here for this new great story that is good in and of itself, not just because of the Millennium Falcon or lightsabers or Chewbacca or whatever. Yes. Michael you can serve us an entirely new dish. You really can. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I feel like my answer is you guys have kind of already hit on all the things, and and it it's basically asking them to do the hardest, scariest thing, right? Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like to your point, Trisha, that you know, big risk, big reward. I think is is the situation that we're in. Um, I would. Uh, underline and and highlight the what you were saying alex as far as the simplicity of it and and getting getting away from the original trilogy like i think me as a fan i am willing to give permission to whoever is at the helm to leave the past behind and do something new right like i think knights of the old republic is a really interesting example the video game that came out that was very popular it's set a thousand years before the the events of Star Wars, right? And so I think when you do something like that, you do a big time gap or a big distance gap, whatever it is, like get far away, you can still be in the universe. You can still have things in there that are iconic Star Wars feeling generators, but it gives you the freedom to to do something new and leaves a lot of the baggage behind. And I think that'll make it, easier for you in some ways as a creator Mm -hmm. versus trying to as we've been saying put all the stuff on a sandwich and still feed it to people and hope they like it like (laughs) that's that's not fair to you it's not fair to us like nobody wins in this scenario um so yeah i think distance be it time or literal like other corner of the galaxy, what's been going on? I don't ever want to hear the name Skywalker ever again. Like, we're going to be yeah. over here. Like, cool. Like, let's do that. So I think that's a big thing. Um, and yeah, the the earnestness, um, I think, is huge. And I think Star Wars is maybe uniquely positioned to be a property that can get that earnestness back. And I think that's the spark that I feel in the force awakens like when i was sitting in the theater mm. like there was like a part there's a little part of that movie where there was like a spark of 
earnestness and Ray as this character that just believes in good and it's like simple and it could have it could have been so much of that, but again, it was is weighed down by all these other things that it was having to do. And so I think I would love, yeah, simple, mythic, earnest Star Wars set far away from the original trilogy stuff. And to kind of your point that you've been making, Brian, if there is a, a want and a desire to explore moral complexity in Star Wars, that's great to do far away also. Like make a new thing mm-hmm. set somewhere else where this this fable is about wrestling between good and evil and like what is right. you know deconstructing that or whatever that is. But I think the setting needs to be different. And I think that will help everybody be able to like get back on board this train because we all been yelling at each other and now we're standing on the platform and no one wants to go anywhere but i think <laughs> i think there is a destination here that uh i think could bring everyone back on board and be something really great mm. yeah and, and i'll say like i don't think simple and mythic like i think that can be some of the best stuff ever you know like you know right. just once yeah. again recently watching dune people are playing it very straight in dune it's it's kind of a simple mythic story but it feels very modern it feels very fresh like simple mythic doesn't mean old or kind of like outdated it can feel vibrant and alive and fresh um more complicated doesn't mean necessarily better or more modern yeah. um so i think yeah simple mythic doesn't mean copy the original trilogy i think it just means tell us a story that has this like solid core that is just about the human experience in a really just yeah stripped down way those are some of our most powerful stories in in any era those are our religious stories Mm -hmm. right there you go and what's more profitable than owning a religion, Disney? Like, come this on, get on it. Four billion dollars. But and I, just, I want to again highlight what you were just saying there, Alex. That there are these like these signposts that I feel like we like grab onto as markers of what we think is good, or like you know the original Star Wars looked gritty, so like I think Star Wars needs to be gritty, and that's it'll be good when it's gritty, or I think it needs to not have this or have that thing, and I think part of the bravery that is required to move forward is to uh shut off the input coming from people or or do the thing that you i think need to do when you're getting feedback which is like hear people and then investigate what are they actually saying what's the need that they're actually trying to address by pointing to thing a or thing b and then work at getting you know delivering on that need and that yeah. takes time and is scary, but I think that's how you bring it all together. Yeah. And takes time. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's what so Star Wars get, is, everybody. Yeah, should <laughs> we do the part, part two of the episode? <laughs> we did, did we, it. Now you know. <laughs> did we solve it? Uh, and thus, there was no more conversation ever had about Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, hands. <laughs> so much sand uh like let's get away from the sand that's like i'm glad yeah. this is becoming a popular movement now of like <laughs> let's get off tatooine less sand um thank you everybody for listening and going on this uh winding discussion i it does feel cathartic and i'm glad we were hopefully able to navigate it in a constructive thoughtful way and because i think that's why i 
get stressed out whenever anyone wants to talk about Star Wars is because it's like, well, is it just going to be yelling about Last Jedi for two hours or are we going to like talk right. about something? And so I enjoyed talking about something with you guys. If you listener want to hear more, hear us talk about more about, about Star Wars <laughs> and uh, kind of Even more. round out our, you. our thoughts on the, the latest entry on Boba Fett, our What We're Watching series uh, is wrapping up over there on our Patreon. So we'll have the link in the show notes to that. I think we're gonna we're just gonna we're gonna call it. I think it's time to to end it. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you to our producer Vince Major and our editor Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Ryan Bittner, and Alex Cayotas. We'll see you next time, and may the force be with you. Bye everybody. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>